0: you have your Bible, turn to Luke the 24th chapter. Luke the 24th chapter, we'll be reading a few verses there in a few moments. There have been many great victories over the course of history. Sometimes at the end of war, a victory is something that people are thrilled about and celebrate. There may be a victory over some pandemic or a disease where... A vaccine is created or some way of curing that disease, and there's a great victory when that takes place. Polio, smallpox, and things like that, we're not so concerned about anymore. But we also realize that one of the greatest victories is the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on the cross, and then on the third day, He rose from the grave. If Jesus had not come forth out of that grave, then he would not be who he claimed to be. And it's kind of interesting, as we pointed out, or I've pointed out, as we looked at the various events that led up to the resurrection, we can see that the enemies of Jesus were more concerned about him coming forth out of the grave than his own disciples, his own followers. It seems that his followers doubted the fact that he would come forth out of that grave. But we know that he did. And so the question that I want to ask this morning is Jesus different? When, we, when he came to this earth, we know that angels announced his birth, but he was born in a stable, and he was laid in a manger, and he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. His birth wasn't announced to kings, it wasn't announced to leaders, but to shepherds. And so he had a humble beginning. But we also see that in his life that he was very compassionate, that he had, he was approachable. People could come to him and they could talk to him. We know that he healed the sick. He healed a blind man. He healed lepers. He touched people. And they were, or he was concerned about their well-being. We can see in Luke chapter 19 and verse 41, Where it says, and when he came near, he beheld the city and wept over it. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. Why? Because he knew what was going to happen in the near future. And so he was concerned about them. We can also see in John chapter 11 and verse 35, that as he stood outside of the tomb, and he was talking to Lazarus' family, that Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the Bible. He was concerned. He was compassionate. He had feelings. He had empathy. He had all the things that we should have in our lives. And we can see that while He was here on this earth, the Bible tells us that He was going to stand silent before His accusers. Isaiah chapter 53, and verse 7 says, And He was oppressed, and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before His shears is dumb, so He opened not His mouth. That was prophesied about Jesus. And so in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 12, it says, And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him, Never a word, never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now think about that. You put yourself in that situation. Someone's bearing false witness against you. They're saying things that aren't true. Could you remain silent? Would you be able to hold your tongue? Or would you shout, I didn't do it? Jesus remained silent. Why? Because He knew that He was going about His Father's business and He was doing what God wanted Him to do. And we can see that Jesus not only was compassionate while He walked around on this earth, though we see the compassion that He had even in His death. We know on one occasion while He was walking that a widow and her, and her only son was coming out of the city. Her only son was dead. And they were carrying Him out to bury Him. And Jesus saw her. And in Luke chapter 7, and verse 13, He says, "...and when the Lord saw her, He had compassion." On her, and said unto her, Weep not. That was her only son. And Jesus raised him from the dead. And then in John chapter 19, verse 26, hanging on the cross, it says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her, that disciple took her into his own home. and so when he looked down, he had compassion, he still was concerned about his mother and her well-being, even as he was dying on the cross. We can see his concern for the one of the thieves when he said, "Today thou shalt be with me in paradise." And when they went about the, the the process of crucifixion, what did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so while he was here on this earth walking around in the form of a human, we know that he was still God. But we can see the compassion, the empathy, and the current concern that he had, not only for people's well-being, but the well-being of their soul. He was concerned about their soul. And so this morning, I want to ask, after He came forth out of the grave, after He had had risen from the dead, is Jesus any different? Do we see any changes in His life? So I want to talk about that this morning. You see, the disciples had heard the news from the women that had gone to the tomb and seen that it was empty and heard the words that the angels had spoke to them. And they came back and they said that Jesus was risen, that he was not in the tomb, and that he was alive. But in Mark chapter sixteen and verse eleven it says, "And they, when they heard that he was alive and had seen and had been seen of her, believed not. They didn't trust the message. They doubted the message. They knew that Jesus, what he had taught or what he had said." But they doubted it. And how many times have we fallen in that category ourselves? That we know what the Bible says. We know what it teaches. We hear the words of Jesus recorded in the Bible. But yet we look at it and we doubt it. Think that it doesn't work. You see, the disciples seem to have trouble believing the news that Jesus had come forth out of the grave. Now to me, that just is amazing. But I wonder... What would be our reaction there? Because they had seen all the things that other that others could see. They had seen the darkness when he was crucified. They had seen the earth or felt the earth tremble. They had seen the graves open up. They heard I'm sure they heard about people coming forth out of the grave, and that I can't explain. But they came forth out of the grave and appeared to people in the city. That wasn't something that was, I'm sure, a secret. Because if somebody that was dead knocked on my door, guess what? You're going to hear about it. And the whole world's going to hear about it. But they still doubted. Peter and another disciple, which most believed was John, went to the tomb to examine, to investigate, to see if what the women had said was true. And they seen that the tomb was empty, but they didn't see Jesus. But still they doubted. And so what was Jesus like? Is there any changes in His life? Is He a different person now that He's come forth out of the grave? Let's begin reading in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. It says, "...and behold, two of them went the same day to the village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. And they talked together as..." Of all the things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they they communed together in reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and had not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been He which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all of this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women, also of our company, made us astonished, which were early at the, at the sepulcher. And when they found not His body, they came, saying, that they had seen a vision of angels, which said unto them that He was alive." And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh into the village "...whether he, they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. and it came to pass, as they sat at meat with them, he took bread, and blessed it, and broke it, and gave to them. And her eyes were open, and they knew him, and vanished out of their sight." And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? We find here two individuals that were followers of Jesus who were walking home. They're walking to Emmaus. And that is about a seven and a half mile journey from Jerusalem to that city. And so it wasn't no short walk that they were involved with. And it should have been a day... Well, it was the first day of the week, obviously. And it was the same day that Jesus had come forth out of the grave. And it was the same day that the women had given the report. And it was the same day that Peter and the other apostle went to the tomb to check it out. So it should have been a day where there was rejoicing. They should have been happy to hear the news that Jesus had risen. But yet, we can see His followers, some, are withdrawing. They're going home. They're going somewhere else. should have been a day of triumph. But they're afraid. We can find from other passages of the Scripture that the disciples were kind of uh, hiding because they were afraid of what was going to happen next. It should have been a day of joy and singing and praise. The Scripture says they were sad. Jesus had come forth out of the grave. They had heard it. They knew what was happening. Maybe they didn't understand everything. But it should have been a great day of rejoicing. And so these two individuals are walking down this road, headed to a city. They're sad and they're depressed. And they're heading home on that road. And then Jesus draws near. As we can see in Luke chapter 24, he draws near and he walks with them. And I believe that that's one of the things that's very, or should be encouraging, because we see that Jesus still is concerned about people. He's still concerned about their souls. He's still concerned about how they feel. Now, sometimes we want to get rid of those thoughts about how people feel. That doesn't really matter. Well, yes, it does matter. It mattered to Jesus. Because He wanted to know why they were sad. He wanted to know what they were talking about. And so we can see that His tenderness, His concern had not changed. As it says in verse 15, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. Jesus went with them. That's important. That's important for you and I. Because we're not alone. Jesus goes with us. He tells us that He'll never forsake us. And we see here that He's concerned about these individuals. So He joins Himself and He walks with them. But we also see that He is concerned about their problems. And Jesus cares about the problems that people face in this life. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but while it was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So we have a Savior who's concerned about us. And no matter what you go through, whatever temptation you may face, Jesus knows what it's like. We can't look at God and say, you don't know what we I'm going through. You don't know what I feel. You don't know. Because He does know. Because he's gone through a lot of things also in his life. And so we know, notice the question that he asked the, the two individuals. What kind of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? In other words, what are you guys talking about? I ask you, do you think Jesus really needed to ask them that question? Or do you think Jesus already knew the answer? You see, sometimes in our lives, we talk to God, and He wants us to tell Him about our problems, about our concerns. You think God already knows? He does. But He wants us to state those things. You see, God cares about us. Jesus cares about us. In 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 7, it says, "...Casting all your cares upon Him, for He careth for you." God cares about you and I. Several years ago, it was going around, people were saying that God was dead. It might be before some of you were even born, but I remember those days where they were saying, God is dead. He's not alive. He's not real. And notice that his disciples are depressed. Why? Because they're not sure he's alive, they think that he's still dead. And perhaps that's why they couldn't recognize Him. Perhaps there was a miracle about this where Jesus made it so that they wouldn't be able to recognize Him. I don't know. But Jesus was there with them. And they were in that depressed state. And sometimes that happens to us. I wonder how many times in our own lives, we may not say it, but how many of us Act like God is dead. We mope and dread as if God were dead. We get down and depressed because we think He's not involved in this world. He's not involved in our lives. We see the moral decay, the moral condition of this world, and we think, "What does what's God doing about it?" We see apathy in the in the church. People don't seem to be concerned. They don't care. Where's God? We see the pain and the suffering that's in our world and even today. And how many times over the last year have you heard someone say, where's God? Where's God in all of this? We fret and stew as if God was through with this world. I said it earlier. And I said, maybe I'm judging. I don't know. But you hear politicians say, our thoughts and prayers are with you. And now lately you hear them say, we don't want to say that. They don't want to say thoughts and prayers. And I wonder, I just wonder, how many of those really, when they say our thoughts and prayers are with you, when some tragedies happen, how many of them really do pray? And to bring it a little closer to home, when we tell someone, I'll remember you in my prayers, how many of us remember them in our prayers? We moan and groan as if God's not on the throne, that He's not in charge. He doesn't care. We half-heartedly pray as if God were away and not listening. But He lives. And brother, we need to remember that. He's alive. Jesus is alive. He came forth out of that grave. We can also see that Christ sets hearts on fire. You see that in verse 32 where it says, "...and they said one to another..." Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked with us by the way and while He opened to us the Scriptures?" I don't know if you've noticed in all of these events that we've looked at how many times Scriptures come up. In fact, when Jesus was on the cross and He said, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? That's an Old Testament passage of Scripture found in Psalms. The Bible is the answer. Sometimes we don't want to read the Bible. We'd rather read a book about the Bible. Or if we had a choice, we'd just rather read a different book. It's not even related to the Bible. You ask a child, you want to hear a story out of the Bible? Or would you rather hear Dr. Seuss? Well, most are going to pick Dr. Seuss. And how many of us would do the same thing? How many of us look at the Bible and say, "Ah, that's just too hard, it's kind of boring. But notice, the Bible is the answer. Their hearts needed rekindled. And once they had expected great things out of Christ... They thought that He would deliver them out of the hands of the Roman Empire. They thought that He he would set up a kingdom on earth. And now they're just saying nice things about Him. Notice they had expected Him to perform those great miracles, but now they even doubt His resurrection. Jesus says they were fools and slow of heart to believe. Once they had been on fire, but their fire had dwindled. How many of us could that phrase describe us? That we were once on fire for the cause of Christ, but the fires dwindled. Brother, really, we need to put another log on our fire. We need to become on fire for the Lord. They remembered better days. Many times we hear people in the church, remember when we did this? Do you remember this or that? Do you remember this gospel meeting? you remember that old preacher? Oh, those were the good old days. And we forget, those aren't the good old days. We've got one day that's coming, which is the judgment day, and that's going to be the greatest day of our life if we're prepared and we're ready. Because we know that there's a place prepared for us. And we want to hear Jesus say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. We need to think of that day as opposed to the old days. And get busy nowadays. Notice how Jesus set their hearts on fire. He took them to the Bible, He took them to Scripture. And I don't know if you've noticed that, like I mentioned, that Scriptures are mentioned a lot of times. That's the answer. But how many times do we want to stay away from it? Look what it says in Luke chapter 24, verses 26 and 27. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Remember that passage of scripture back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 where it talks about uh, bruising the heel and bruising or uh, crushing the head? That, that, Satan's been destroyed. And we see that picture there at Calvary when they were going to crucify Him. They took Him to the place of the skull, which reminded me, I don't know if it reminded you, but it reminded me of that first prophecy. But could you imagine walking down the road and having Jesus explain all of those prophecies concerning Himself to you? Wouldn't that be great? But brother, we need to understand... That the Bible has the answer then, and it has the answer now. Amen. That's where we need to go. We need to hunger and thirst for the Word of God. He also showed him his wounds the wounds in his hands and the wounds in his feet. In Luke chapter 24, beginning of verse 33, it says, and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how He was known of them in breaking bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus Himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrightened, and supposed that they had seen a spirit And He said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, My hands and My feet, that it is I Myself. Handle Me, I see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bone, as ye see Me have. And when He had thus spoken, He showed them His hands and His feet. And while they yet believed not for joy, and wondered, He said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave Him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it, and he did eat before them. Even seeing Jesus, it seems they still doubt. It's hard to believe. But Jesus came forth out of that grave. Now, we know that when these two individuals came back to Jerusalem, they found the eleven. That means that all the apostles were there, including Thomas. But at some point, Thomas must have left the room. Because we know in John chapter 20, it says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, verse 24, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So he had to have left the room. The other disciples, therefore, said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I see his hands in the print of the nails, and put my finger in the print of the nails, and thrust my hands into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the door being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither my hand, thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. Why Thomas left the room, I don't know. Where did he go? I don't know. But he wasn't there when Jesus appeared that first time and he had to go another week in doubt before he found that Jesus was alive and he believed it. How many of us have a heart that is on fire for Christ? How many of us doubt what the Bible says. How many of us trust that God cares about us and is with us and has not forsaken us? God is still on His throne. He's still in, contr- in control of this world. And He can end at any time. But when we see hearts that are on fire, we see lives that are changed. The two disciples, as we read in Luke chapter 24, beginning of verse 28, it says, "...and they drew nigh to the village, whither they went. And He made as though He would have gone further. And they constrained Him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and a day is far spent. And He went in and tarried with them. And it came to pass, as He sat at meat with them, He took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they knew Him, and He vanished out of their sight." Down in verse 33, and they arose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Seven miles, at least. About seven, seven and a half miles. They didn't say, we're going to wait until the morning to do this. That same hour, they got up and they walked all the way back to where the disciples were in Jerusalem. Brethren, when we're on fire for Christ, it'll change our lives. It'll change our direction. We know the Bible teaches that we're supposed to repent. And when people listen to the message of of the Gospel and they believe that message, repentance is something that is made easier. We turn away from our sin. We stop doing that sinful thing because we know that Christ is living. And we die to sin. We want to be a part of that. Now we're turning and we're putting our trust and faith in God. When we're on fire for Christ, it's easy to change our life. Seven miles, the same same hour. They didn't wait. They did something about it right then. Brother, how many of us, when we have an opportunity to do good, will sit back and say, well, not tonight. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. I'll get around to it. You see, when we're on fire, we can't wait. It changes our lives. But notice what they did. They were seeking the gathering of the followers of Christ. They didn't just go to any old house. They wanted to find people that were followers of Jesus Christ and tell them the good news that they heard. They wanted wanted them to know that they had seen Christ and that He had explained to them the Scripture. And they wanted them to know of their faith. Brethren as Christians, when we realize that Jesus has changed our life, shouldn't we want to gather with His saints? Shouldn't we want to find the people that are followers of His? If we go into a strange city, a different city, maybe on vacation or out of town for whatever reason, and it's Sunday, the Lord's Day, do we seek His people or do we sit back and say, I don't need to do it today. No don't want to know. It's all right. God will understand. Brethren, we need to seek people. Notice what it says in verse 33. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them. It wasn't just the eleven. There was others that were there also. But they wanted to be with them and tell them the good news. Part of worshiping God is hearing the good news of His Word. Assembling around the table and remembering His death. Singing songs that lift us up and encourage us. Sending prayers up to God to tell Him our concerns and our love and our care. And that we're thankful for what He's blessed us with. And to give a portion back of what He's blessed us with. All of those are reasons that we come together we also see that He gave them assurance of His power. That He did have the ability, that He did have the power to come forth out of the grave. And verse 26 of Luke 24 says, Ought not Christ who has suffered these things to enter into His glory? He's now risen and is at the right hand of God. And He did all of that for a reason. He died on the cross. He was laid in the tomb. He came forth out of that tomb for a reason. Because that was part of God's plan, and that's so you and I can be saved. That's so that the world could be saved. That's the choice that we have. If you have your Bible, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. You see, without Christ dying and being buried and being risen from the dead, we have no hope. There is no hope. In 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, beginning in verse 12, it says, Now if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, If so, be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that sleep. Paul's telling us very plainly that if Jesus didn't come forth out of the grave, then we're without hope. Because you see, someday that trumpet's going to sound and this body, your body, all bodies are going to come forth out of the ground. How's that happen? I have no clue. People will say, how's that going to happen if somebody died and was dumped in the ocean? I don't know. how it's going to work? But I've always said... If God can take dust and form it and make man and breathe into his nostrils the breath of life and he becomes a living soul, I think he can put us all back together. Because you see, if you're going to believe one part of the Bible, you've got to believe the whole Bible. And if you're not going to believe one part of it, then you might as well discard the whole thing. Because if Jesus didn't come forth out of the grave, our faith, as Paul says very plainly, is vain. And, as He says in verse 17, ye are yet in your sins. So if Jesus didn't come forth out of that grave, He's not the Messiah. He's not the Savior. Because all the Old Testament prophecies are pointing to that event, His death on a cross, His burial, and His resurrection. And without that, we would be lost. So we know, as he said, Christ is risen from the dead. And He's the first fruits. And because He come forth out of the grave, our body will come forth out of the grave. What a blessing it is to know what Jesus has done for us. Brethren, we need to have hearts that are on fire for Christ, that are on fire for God, that are on fire to preach His Word, to teach His Word, to tell others about that good news. That they can be saved. Oh, yeah, some don't want to hear it. But I believe that there's still some that do. And we need to proclaim it. Most of all, we need to live it. And let's see people see the hope that you and I have in our lives. Don't be doubters like they were. What did did Jesus say? Old fools? Slow of faith? Or slow to believe? Rather, we need to understand that God is real. His Bible is real. And if someday we're going to answer in for this life that we live and it's going to be compared to His Word. And So we need to be prepared for that day. So what was Christ like after He came forth out of the grave? He was the same before He went into the grave. And He'll be the same forever and evermore. They don't change. We need to change if we're unfaithful to God. If you're not a Christian, remember Jesus died for you. He was laid in that tomb for you and He came forth out of the grave for you. And you can be buried with our Lord in baptism. And He tells us that. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. What do we have to believe? That good news, that Gospel. That He died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He rose victorious over the grave. And so this morning, if you're not a Christian, you can be buried with your Lord in baptism to have your sins washed away by the blood of Christ. Maybe the fire's gone out in your life. Maybe as I said, you need to put another log on the fire. I believe the answer is God's Word. Go to God's Word. He'll help you. Read it. Study it. But also talk to Him in prayer. That's what He gave us that, that mechanism for. So that we could talk to Him, tell Him our concerns. And He'll help us with those things. But we have to trust Him. So many times I hear people read the Bible and say, ah, it just don't work. It does work. Sometimes it don't work because we don't even try it. Try it. Study it. Make it a part of your life. If you need to respond to the invitation this morning, come and have a seat up here on the front row while he stands.